And so this morning, for a few moments, I want you to open up your heart as we just go to the Word of God today. And this morning, I want to preach on the thought, what to do when you don't know what to do. Can you say that with me? What to do. Everybody say, what to do when you don't know what to do. All right. As we pay attention to the Word of God this morning and give our attention to the Word of God and give our heart to the Word of God And uh, if you're taking notes, that's good. It's good to take notes, but let's make sure that we're just doing that this morning, all right? And paying attention, people around you are watching you, so let's be a good steward of love, your neighbor, this morning, and uh, as we pay attention to the Word. All right, uh, Job chapter 42, beginning with verse number 1. If you go to Job chapter 42, beginning with verse number 1, I want to share something with you. What to do when you don't know what to do. And we're going to look at verse number 1, Job 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me which I do not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. Verse 5 is what I want to pay attention to. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. What to do when you don't know what to do? How many would believe me when I tell you that, you know, as you serve the Lord and as you progress in your relationship with the Lord, you will discover that there is a mystery about God that sometimes you cannot master. There is a mystery about God that you cannot master. Someone once said that God's Word and God Himself are wonders to behold and they're not subjects to master. You know, I've learned that if you try to master God, then that only leads to frustration. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 29 and verse number 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us. I want you to listen to what the prophet said in Isaiah 55 and verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As you progress with the Lord, and as you grow with the Lord, one of the things that you will find is that there is a mystery about God that you can never master. I think as Pentecostals, as evangelical Christians, we want to know everything, and we want to master it. That's why there's theology books that's called systematic theology because we want to put everything in a system to try to understand things we want to put everything on charts and graphs so that we can have everything organized and so that we can understand everything and certainly those things are not bad and there are some good profitable things that comes out of things like that but I'm a firm believer that no matter how many charts and graphs that you may have or no matter how many books that you may read, 
you will never master everything about God. There are some things about God that are hidden from us. And if we try to master God, of course, that leads to frustration. You know, when I read the Bible, one of the things that I see over and over and over again is that God is very intentional about everything he does. Even when God is not working, he actually is working. Even when God is saying no, God is still working. Even when it seems like God is not doing anything in our life, God in essence is still working in our life. When God is doing something we can see, you can rest assured that God is doing something that you cannot see. When God is doing something, he really is doing something. But my friends, when God is doing nothing, God is still doing something. Because everything that God does is on purpose. God does nothing unless it's according to his plan and according to his purpose. And that is why this morning we can rejoice and celebrate when God is moving in our life, when we feel the goosebumps, when we feel encouraged, we can rejoice at that. But we can also rejoice even when it feels like heaven is shut up and we don't have the goosebumps and we feel like we're going through a valley, we can still rejoice because even in those moments and those seasons of our life, God is still moving even when we don't see him moving. Can I hear an amen? God's working in your life even when it feels like he's not working. And that is why we can praise the Lord when God's moving. And we can praise the Lord when it seems like God's not moving. Because God is on purpose in everything that he does. I'm reminded of a man in the Bible by the name of Job. I'm sure most of you have read about Job. Job is a fascinating character to me. The reason that he's fascinating to me is because the Bible says in Job chapter number 1, it gives some characteristics about Job. The Bible says that Job is blameless, that Job is upright, Job fears the Lord, and the Bible says that Job shuns evil. The Bible says that this man not only loved the Lord, not only was he righteous, but the Bible says that Job was extremely blessed. Now, for the sake of time, I just want you to hear what I have found in Scripture concerning about how blessed he was. The Bible says, number one, he had seven sons. I'm not sure if that's a blessing, but I guess it is. (laughs) Seven sons and three daughters. 7,000 sheep. How many knows that's a lot of sheep? 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and the Bible says he was the greatest man of the East. In other words, not only was this man righteous, not only was this man blameless before God, but the Bible says this man was very, very blessed. How many believes me that righteous people can be blessed? Is there any blessed folks in the building? Righteous people can be blessed. And here is a man that was blessed of the Lord, but yet there was a shift in his life. Things begin to change. Almost overnight, things begin to change. And the scripture says in Job chapter number 1, that things begin to change around verse number 13. The Bible says he begins to get painful boils all over his body. 
As a matter of fact, the Bible says he loses everything. He loses his sons. He loses his daughters. He loses all of his camels, his oxen. He loses his donkeys. He loses it all. It's all gone. And then his wife says, Job, why don't you just give up? Curse God. It's not worth it. Now, if there is a man that's walking through a dark valley, if there's a man that's having a rough time, how many would agree with the preacher this morning, Job's having a rough day? I mean, how many would agree with me? Job is having a rough day. And as children of God, we all have rough days. But we just got to be careful that the rough day don't have us. But Job is having a rough day. I would even push the envelope and say, he's not just having a rough day. This is extremely disappointing to Job. Because Job is a righteous man. And why in the world would it happen to Job? I mean, why would it happen to him? If there's anybody that should be exempt from trouble, it should be Job. Job is righteous. He loves the Lord. He's shunning evil. I mean, if anything should happen, Job should stay blessed. But yet Job experiences heartache and misfortune. In other words, Job has the wrong deck of cards dealt with him. Everything in his life is shattered. Everything in his life is turned around. Everything turns around very quickly. And I've thought about the book of Job. And I've often wondered, why in the world is this book in the canon? Why is this book written? I mean, could we not just leave this book out? But I believe that the book is written to tell us something. And that is this. No matter how blessed you are, nobody is exempt from trouble. Did you hear me? No one is exempt from trouble. You see, I'm convinced that the church, we have taught people how to worship well. We've taught people how to serve. We've taught people how to preach. We've taught people to be faithful to church. But listen to Pastor Josh. There is one thing that we have not taught people to do very good. We have not taught people to suffer very well. We've taught people to give. We've taught people to go to church. We've taught people to perform spiritual disciplines and be faithful to God. But we haven't taught people to suffer very well. We're not good at suffering. We're not good at suffering. Especially here in America, we don't like to be uncomfortable, and we certainly don't like to suffer. And so we don't like to suffer well. And of course, that's, that's common. I don't like to suffer. But we haven't taught our people how to endure suffering with a godly perspective. We haven't taught our people how to look beyond the suffering and see the reward beyond the suffering. You see, Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You see, he said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have already overcome the world. Now, this scripture is really interesting to me. The Bible says in 1 Peter, I think it's chapter 5, verse number 10. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 10. I want you to pay attention to what the apostle says about suffering. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, he says this, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Hallelujah. Somebody raise your hands and say, thank you, Lord.
You see, that's what happens. If you can suffer well, if you can make it through the valley, if you can endure the hard time, the scripture reminds us that he will restore you, he will make you strong, and you will be steadfast. You see, I'm reminded that the scripture says in Job chapter number 1, Job 1 and verse number 9, I want you to see this heavenly courtroom. I want you to see the conversation between God and Satan. The Bible says in Job chapter 1 verse 9, I want you to look at what the conversation is between God and the devil. Does Job, this is, the, this is Satan saying to God, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has? You've blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch your hand and touch all that he has, and surely he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. I always felt like this this part of the narrative was very interesting. Very interesting. Number one, you see Satan himself in the presence of God having a conversation with God about a mortal, about a human being. Here, Satan looks as though he's pretty comfortable in talking to God. And basically, this is what Satan is saying to God. The only reason that Job is serving you is because he's blessed. The only reason that Job is serving you is because you have blessed the work of his hands. Satan is assuming, God, if you take away the blessing and you take away his increase, he will curse you to your face. Because the only reason that he is serving you is because you have blessed him. And God, knowing Job, said to Satan, all right, the battle's on. Let the testing go. You can do whatever you want to Job, just don't kill him. And here on earth, the battle started. Satan took everything Job had. And Satan is standing in the background waiting for Job's response. Satan is standing in the background. I could just see Satan in the background with his arms folded as he's watching Job cry and mourn the death of his children. As he watches Job fall to the ground in ashes and tear his clothes and weep and cry, Satan is standing there. And he's convinced that Job is going to respond incorrectly. That somehow Job is going to respond and curse God because Satan is convinced that the only reason that Job is worshiping God and serving God is because God has blessed him. You see, I've often thought about this, and I think it's true for us today. And we've got to do self-evaluation in our life. Are we serving God because it's convenient? Or can we serve God when it becomes uncomfortable? Are you committed to God because of the convenience, or are you committed to God because of the cause? And I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you committed to him, or are you committed to the position? Are you committed to the title, or are you committed to him? Are you committed to the salary, or are you committed to him? 
Are you committed to the bank account or are you committed to him? Are you committed to the boat and the house and the car or are you committed to him? Are you committed to the blessing or are you committed to him? I don't know about you, but I want to live my life in such a way that I am detached. I want to live my life where I'm detached from things. I could easily let things go because I want to be called, I want to be committed to the cause and I don't want to be committed to the convenience. Is there anybody that can wave your hand and say, Pastor, I want to have that heart. I want to be committed to the very end. Remember what the Bible says in the book of Daniel chapter 3, verse 18? It was the three Hebrew boys. I love the three Hebrew boys. They had commitment. They wasn't committed to convenience because if they was committed to convenience, they would have said to the king, we'll just bow down to your statue. We'll we'll, we'll bow down to the statue because it's convenient. But those three Hebrew boys was not committed to convenience. They was committed to the cause. And the Bible says in Daniel 3, 18, these three Hebrew boys said this, and I quote, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you have set up. Hallelujah. These three Hebrew boys said, I want you to know, Mr. King, that we are committed. And even if he doesn't deliver us from the fiery furnace, we are so committed that we still won't bow and we're so committed that we'll stay in the fire. I don't know about you, but I'm looking for some people that's willing to be so committed that you'll be committed in the fire. Are you committed? Can you stay in the fire? Do you got to get out of the kitchen because it's too hot? Or do you have enough tenacity and perseverance that you're willing to stay in the fire because you're committed to the cause and you're not committed to convenience? Oh, we live in a world that's committed to convenience, not the cause. But here these three Hebrew boys had an even-if faith. We'll worship you even if we go into the fire. And even if faith, even if he doesn't bless me, I'm going to still serve him. Even if he doesn't heal me, I'll still serve you. Even if he doesn't come through, I'll still serve you. Even if I don't get the job, I'll still serve you. Even if I don't get the promotion, I'll still serve you. Hallelujah. I'm not committed to the blessing. I'm not committed to convenience. I'm committed to the cause. Hallelujah. Is there somebody that can wave your hand and say, Pastor, I'm committed to the cause. I'm not committed to convenience. I'm committed to the cause. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. Somebody say amen. See, I was reading this scripture. And of course, I'm sure you've heard this scripture preached on many times before. And of course, throughout my tenure as pastor here, I'm sure I've preached on it too. And there's many different angles that you can look at this story. And the story is so rich, you can bring a lot of things out of the story. But one of the things, Brother Mike, that I saw in this story that I quite never saw before, I want to bring out to you. I want you to notice what the, what the enemy Satan said to the Lord. I want you to look at verse number 10. Job chapter 1 and verse 10. I want you to see the phrase, what the enemy said to the Lord. Verse number 10, Job chapter 1 verse 10, and this is what the enemy said. Look at it. Look at the first sentence. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, And his possessions have increased in the land. Now, I've thought about this. 
the enemy, Satan, is saying or asking the Lord, have you not made a hedge around him? In other words, the enemy is saying to God, have you not put a hedge of protection around him? You put a hedge of protection around his household on every side, and you've blessed everything that he has. So this is my question to you. How in the world did the devil know that there was a hedge there? How did the devil know that there was a hedge there? The only reason the devil knew that there was a hedge there is because previously he tried to get in to attack Job and couldn't get to Job. And that's the only reason he knew there was a hedge. Oh, I'm about to shout up in here. And that's why you can praise the Lord this morning. You can praise the Lord because you knew God protected you from some things. But you can also praise the Lord because there are some things that tried to get to you that never got to you. And you... Can somebody bless the Lord this morning? There was a hedge around his life, and the enemy knew that there was a hedge. That's the reason he said that to the Lord. He knew it was there. He tried to get to Job previously and could not get to him. I'm going to praise the Lord for being delivered from the stuff that I can see and feel and touch. But I'm going to praise the Lord. Because I know that there have been times the Lord has protected me from accidents. He's protected me from sicknesses. He's protected, oh, somebody praise the Lord. He's protected me from things I wasn't even aware of. And the reason I can be here this morning is because he has given me breath to praise him and to exalt him and to worship him. I thank you for the things I do not see. Hallelujah. Can somebody praise the Lord? Woo! Thank you that there's a hedge over around my life. I thank you. Thank you there's a hedge in my life. You see, sometimes we get a negative attitude because we focus on the things that's been allowed to attack us. Sometimes you've got to change your perspective. It could have been worse. Maybe God protected you from some other things. You ever notice, you ever notice in your spiritual life that when the enemy comes against you, it seems like it happens all suddenly? And then it seems like it happens one right after another. Am I the only one that's ever experienced that? Now, I'm not saying the enemy, the enemy doesn't really care about your car, but let's just throw this out as an example. This is a horrible example. But let's just say your car broke down one day. Then you get in a fight with your spouse the next day. Come on. Then your dog is acting crazy the next day. Come on, somebody. And then you can't pay. <laughs> then you can't pay your bills the next day. You know, you get the point. It just seems like you had a horrible week. It's just one after another. I'm certainly not saying the devil's done that. Sometimes I think we, you know, sometimes we give the devil too much credit for things he he's probably sitting back and thinking, I didn't do anything, I promise you. <laughs> I'm innocent in this matter. <laughs> Maybe the reason you can't pay your bills is because you're overspent. Maybe it's not the devil, you know? Maybe the reason you have heart trouble is because you ate too many cheeseburgers. You know, you ever thought about that? But anyway, you know what I'm saying? 
Maybe people don't like you because your attitude stinks. You know, have you ever thought about that? You know, maybe it's not the devil. Come on, somebody say amen. But anyway, <laughs> amen. Can somebody help Pastor Josh preach this morning? <laughs> y'all, y'all know I love you. you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm just joking with you, okay? Just joking with you. Everybody give me a knuckle punch here. Did you ever notice that the enemy comes against you one right after another? It's like he takes his children, he takes his daughters, his sons, takes his homes. Then he breaks out and boils. Then his wife comes along. It's just like one right after another. And I've thought about that. Why? Why does that happen like that? Because the enemy doesn't care anything about your houses or your car. He doesn't care anything about your job. He doesn't care anything about this church building. The thing the enemy cares about is your faith. So if he can use external things to weaken your faith, he can get you to a point where you compromise. So if he can use the car and the house and the job, and if he can use the crazy person across the street to get, he'll use whatever he can to weaken your faith. And when your faith is weakened, your commitment is weakened. And when your commitment is weakened, you will compromise your faith. And that's what the devil was doing. He was throwing things at Job one right after another because he's thinking, if this don't work, This will work, and it will weaken Job's faith to the point where Job will compromise. Are y'all hearing me? And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, I want you to listen to what the writer of 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 4, he says this, and I quote, 1 John 5 verse 4, for everyone that's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. What overcomes the world? Our faith. I said, what overcomes the world? Our faith. What overcomes the world? For everyone that's been born of God overcomes the world. For this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And that's what the devil does. He'll throw things at you. But you know how the enemy will throw things at you? He throws things at you at your mind. One thing after another. And why does he throw it at your mind? So that your mind, so he can make a penetration in your mind, so that you will compromise and act upon the thoughts that he's thrown at you. He's trying to weaken Job's faith. So this is the question. When you find yourself in a situation where you don't know what to do, have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a situation that you don't know what to do? Now, folks, I've been in this thing all my life. And I've been into some powerful services. And then I've been into some services where, you know, I've done some Jericho marches. I've marched around the building seven times. I've been in one service where they said the river of God was flowing. And they said, y'all need to throw something in the river. You know what I did? I just took my shoes off and threw it in the river. I mean, I've done all kinds of things to get the victory. But it really comes down to this. The devil don't care about any river up here with throwing your shoes in. 
Come on, somebody. The devil wants to know I'm trying to get your faith so that you will compromise your standard and compromise your commitment and you will give in to compromise and your compromise will lead to captivity and captivity will lead to control. The devil's ultimate gain is to control you. He that the Son has set free is free indeed. If the Son can set you free and if the truth can make you free, then it must be a lie that will bind you up. So how did Job respond? I mean, Job, come on, i got to give it to Job. Job's a bad man. I mean, he's a bad man here. Bad as in good, you know. He's a bad man here. I mean, you almost read this book and you're like, uh, you know, this is kind of like a fairy tale. Does anybody ever act like this? You know. But then I remind myself it's thousands of years ago. They have a different perspective than we do. And theologians tell us that the book of Job is probably the first book of the Bible. You do know that, right? Why would it be a first book of the Bible? Well, there's clues. The Bible says that Job got up early in the morning and offered sacrifices to God on behalf of his children. Gives us an indication that probably this was before the Levitical law was instituted and before the Levites became the priest and offered sacrifices in, a, in, in the tabernacle. So here we find Job acting as a priest, even though he wasn't from a certain tribe or ordained as a priest. He's acting as a priest, and he's offering up sacrifices on behalf of his children. And so here you find Job, after he loses everything, the question is, is how does Job respond? The Bible says in Job chapter 1 verse 20, this is Job's response. Job chapter 1 verse 20, I want you to pay attention to what Job does. The Bible says, and Job arose, now this is after the tragedy. He arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and he worshipped. Hmm, what did he do? He, He shaved his head, right? He shaved his head, he tore his robe. And he fell to the ground and worshiped. Look at the first part of that passage. He shaved his head and tore his robe. That is a key to something. That's a sign of weeping and mourning. Especially in the Old Testament, when somebody had severe grief, they would tear their clothes. Why did they tear their clothes? Because what's in the middle, of your, what's in the middle here? It's your heart. So when they tear their clothes, you know what they're saying? My heart is about to explode with grief. He's tearing his clothes in grief. My heart is going to explode. He shaves his head. Sign of weeping. He weeps. He cries. How do you respond when things don't go the way they should go? Sometimes I like to call it a Job-like experience. You know what a Job-like experience is? It's the unexpected. Sometimes those things happen in our life. It's the unexpected, the unexplained. Don't know how to explain it. I don't know whether I'm the cause of it or whether I'm in a battle. I don't know what's going on. It's the unexplained, the unpredicted. And here Job, in the valley of the unexplained, 
in the valley of the unpredicted, in the season of the unpredicted, in the season of the unexplained, this is how he responds. He begins to weep. You know, that's very, very important for us to know because faith doesn't deny reality. Let me tell you, and I've said this before, but I think, you know, I'm going to say it again. If I'm throwing up and you come to me and tell me, brother, you ain't sick, just trust the Lord. I'm sick. If I'm throwing up, bro, I'm sick. Can you help me out? Can somebody say amen? I'm sick. So please don't come to me with your religiosity stuff and tell me I'm not sick. The stuff in the toilet is a demonstration. I'm sick. It's amazing. God never stepped out in Genesis chapter 1. He never stepped out into nothing. He didn't say, I don't see any darkness at all. He saw the darkness and spoke light into the darkness. You see, if you're going through a situation in your life, listen to pastor, the very first thing you need to do is just be real and say, I'm struggling, I'm sick, I'm depressed, I need some help. Let's just admit the reality, let's weep a little bit. You know what faith is? Faith believes God can change it. But faith also believes that he can change me for it. Hallelujah. That's what faith is. Faith says, even if, even if I don't get healed, and even if I don't get the job promotion, faith says he can change my heart for the situation. That's what faith is. Sometimes he doesn't change it. But he gives you faith. He changes you for it. You see, when I read the Bible... I believe that the Bible is a Bible of reality. You have prophets wanting to die. You have a Savior who died on a Roman cross he did not deserve. We, it's a Bible of reality. It's a Bible of pain and suffering. But can I tell you something else? It's also a Bible and a gospel of overcoming. <laughs> That, that, that when you see in the Bible people going through these situations, it's hard. But it's also, the Bible is also a gospel of overcoming. You throw me in the grave, I walk right out of it. You throw me in the lion's den, I'm coming out. You throw me in the fiery furnace, I'm coming out. You throw me in the pit, I'm coming out. You throw me in the valley, I'm going to walk out. You throw me in Egypt, I'm going to walk out. You throw me in the Red Sea, and I'm going to march through. It is a gospel of overcoming. So it may not work the way you think it should work, but I promise you, if you hang on, you'll overcome. David said, when I walk through the valley of Baca, you will be my wellspring. You see, my friends, it's a gospel of overcoming. The scripture says, Isaiah 43, verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the rivers will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. 
You see, we will overcome. You see, Jesus will not heal what you don't reveal. And if you don't face it, he won't fix it. And he won't heal what you don't, he won't heal what you hide. And there comes a time in your life that you've got to just reveal some things so he can heal some things. There comes a time in your life that you've got to take, out, take off the religious mask and quit saying, I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. I'm the head and not the tail. You just need to take the mask off and admit where you're at. Job tore his clothes and he wept. He had his three friends come along and say, now Job, you know why you're going through this. You got to be careful who you keep company with when you're in a season like that. And I hear somebody. Hmm. He, he wept. Folks, just weep. Just admit. Struggling. It's okay to struggle. I've said that from day one. Just as long as you struggle in the right direction. Not only did he weep, but what else did he do? He shaved his head. He tore his clothes. He, and the Bible says in Job verse 120, he worshiped. Now, what do you mean he worshipped? I don't know what he said when he worshipped. I don't know if he said, why, Lord, is this happening to me? But somehow, the writer of this book is telling us that Job truly worshipped. Because what do you do when you don't know what to do? Do you run from the very God that blessed you in the beginning? Why would you run from him? If you knew he did it before, Certainly, you know he could do it again. I mean, why would you abandon him? But yet, that's what people do in their seasons. They abandon God. They abandon church. They abandon religious discipline. They abandon it because they don't hang on. They're more committed to convenience than they are the cause. They, They don't know how to stay in the fire. They're not committed in the fire. You see... He began to worship. You see, let, let me tell you something, folks. You don't, you don't thank God. Job never thanked the Lord. Lord, thank you for killing my kids or allowing the devil to kill my kids. Thank you, Lord, that you destroyed my home. I know you didn't do it, but you allowed the devil to do it, so thank you. That's ludicrous. You don't thank the Lord that your baby girl died. Or somebody committed an overdose. Come to church and raise your hands and act like it's okay. That's not the gospel. There is unexplained tragedy that hurts us. We don't thank God for that. We don't understand what happened. But what we do thank God. And the why we worship in the midst of our tragedy. Is because somehow, some way, God can work it out for our good. That's why we worship God. We worship God because we know that his hands is bigger than our hands. And we know somehow, some way, God can work this out. Can I hear an amen? So Job, when he worships God, he doesn't thank the Lord for having his kids gone. No daddy would do that. But in his worship, 
Because let me tell you, worship is messy. Just like the woman that came in and wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, with her tears. Worship is messy. Worship is, I don't have it all together and I don't understand why it happened to me, but I've come today to acknowledge that you're bigger than my pain and in the midst of this, somehow, you'll work it out for my good. Somehow, you'll work it out. I don't know how you're going to work it out, but you're going to work it out because you're bigger than my pain. Then he worships the Lord. You see, I believe Worship puts us in a different position. When you worship, I believe you change seats. You go from the seat of grieving, you go to a seat of worship. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places, and where you are seated determines what you see. Maybe Job saw that God was going to return it back to him. But even if God didn't, he still trusted the Lord. You see, you remember the story? I think it's Lazarus in John chapter 11. Lazarus is, is, is dead. Scripture says he was dead for four days. And his sister said to the Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But you see, Jesus... I love it. Jesus wept at his tomb. But Jesus also worshiped. He said, Father, I thank you that you always hear me when I pray. Because worship changes your perspective. They saw a dead man, but Jesus knew he was taking a nap. And that's a different perspective. And when you begin to worship God in the midst of your pain, it changes your perception. That's why in the end of the book, Job said, Job 42, verse number 5. Look at it. Towards the end of the book, the last chapter of the book, Job makes this profound statement that I think is worthy to be read again. Job chapter 42 and verse number 5. Job says, I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear. But he says, now my eye sees you. He says, now makes sense. I see. I have heard I heard what you've done. In my life, I've heard about you. But now, through all of this mess that I went through, now I see you. Maybe that's what God's trying to do. Maybe it's not another house and a car. Maybe it's more depth. Maybe it's more depth in your life. Maybe he's trying to move you from hearing to seeing. I've heard about you, but now I've seen you. I see that you worked it out. The Bible says at the end, he was returned sevenfold of all that he lost. 
Maybe it's because he just admitted he was hurting. Maybe it was because he learned how to worship messy. In the midst of that, he learned how to worship. Amen. And amen. I said amen. And amen. I said amen. And amen. I'm looking at a bunch of overcomers this morning. And I prophesy to you. Come on, somebody. I prophesy and decree and declare the word of God over you. That Satan has no jurisdiction over you, your family, and your property. The hand of God is upon you. And no matter what happens in you or through you or to you, you are an overcomer. You are not committed to convenience. You are committed to a cause. This church is strong. This church is vibrant. This church is growing. This church, oh, how we have an army of believers who is not committed to convenience. We're committed to a cause. And we've made up our mind that he deserves all the worship because somehow in some way he will work it all out for my good. And that is why I can worship him. And that's why I can lift my hands and magnify him because I know in the end it will be for my good. Hallelujah.